0: at federal we have products for every season and every pursuit our passionate and dedicated teams design build and deliver the world's best american-made ammunition whether you're hunting target shooting or defending yourself and family our pride and hard work can be found in every box ammo can or bottle of ammunition for us it's always in season. It's federal season.
1: Welcome to Federal Ammunition's podcast, It's Federal Season. I'm Jason Nash, Federal Ammunition's VP of Marketing, and I'm here today with Brian Kelvington, our Director of Media. We've got a great podcast today and a discussion that's really timely for all hunting seasons and year-round shooting.
2: Yeah, Jason, we're happy to have fitness expert and shooting enthusiast Dave Castro on today.
1: Dave, welcome to our podcast.
3: How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on. Before we get started, let's just, as a brief introduction to you and to our audience, here's a kind of a condensed history as we understand it, and then we'll we'll ask you some questions. But uh, you grew up in Northern California and went into the service after high school. You were a Navy SEAL from nineteen ninety-eight to two thousand and ten, and and we all thank you very much for your service. Uh, in two thousand and five, as a SEAL, you discovered CrossFit and started employing the training methods that uh, you learned to support your SEAL training. Um, what is it about SEAL program and, and being a SEAL that, that drew you to serve?
3: Well, it's interesting. I um, Out of high school, in high school, I participated on the football team. I tried out for the basketball team, didn't make it. I was really into athletics, but I didn't thrive. So I was kind of, I had doubts in my mind of, of my um, physical fitness worth almost. And I read about and saw a movie about Navy SEALs and I started consuming all the content and information on their program. And one of the reoccurring themes that kept coming back was how their training is viewed as the most difficult in the military. And so this little seed was planted, simply this notion of, I wonder if I could do that. I wonder if I have what it takes to make it through that training, especially since I did not have a stellar athletic career in, uh, in high school, largely though I learned later that athletics and, and making it through a program like that, you know, exactly aren't related, but um, but it was part of the drive that made me want to enlist. So I actually enlisted for the sole purpose of trying to become a Navy SEAL. Prior to that desire of uh, wanting to be a Navy SEAL, I didn't have any ambitions or or desire to join the
1: military. Awesome. Well. You know, Brian and I were both college wrestlers, so we know a little bit about uh, really pushing yourself physically. So, you know, I first saw CrossFit when we acquired uh, Blackhawk, our sister brand, and it was actually started by a a Navy SEAL. And those guys were really into that, you know, high-intensity training and and CrossFit. Uh, It was founded in 2000. And, uh, I mean, how did you become affiliated with that brand after leaving the military?
3: What a lot of people don't realize, because I kept it quiet, um i actually started working for crossfit in 2006 and what i kept quiet was my active duty involvement uh in the navy towards the crossfit community so from 2006 to 2010 i was active duty and working for um crossfit the way i was able to pull that off was because my um duty station at the time i was a buds instructor so as a as a buds instructor i had a pit, pretty fixed routine and I was able to uh, basically Monday through Friday, I was doing uh, putting students through training. And on the weekends I was traveling and conducting CrossFit seminars and actually the CrossFit, conducting the CrossFit games. Um, so there was a nice overlap of doing both. And towards the end in 2009, towards the end of uh, my Navy career, I actually did a deployment overseas. And while I was overseas in Afghanistan, I was um, planning and programming the CrossFit games and planning and organizing CrossFit seminars. So that was pretty pretty unique. But in the CrossFit world, I made sure everyone involved in our teams didn't. I didn't want to promote that, or I didn't want to let you know for a few reasons. One, I'm really I like the fact how secretive our community is, and I didn't want to um, lean on what I did or who I was in the CrossFit world to become to to make my name. Or two, I didn't want to be known as Dave Casher, the Seal in the CrossFit world.
1: Oh, that—that's fantastic. Yeah, and I—I had heard of you, but didn't realize your background. So that's—you did a nice job of kind of concealing that.
3: Yeah, it was very deliberate. Very deliberate.
1: No, yeah, that's awesome. And you know, CrossFit is a lot of people call it a cult. Um, What an amazing brand story, and and an, just a fantastic, you know, community of people. I've I've been really impressed with it. Um, what what is it about the games that, you know, what what was the genesis of that piece of CrossFit? Because I think that's really had an impact on the brand.
3: Well, the yeah, it's been a, it's been an amazing piece of the uh, program, especially for for the storyline of testing for the fittest in the world, and and what that naturally creates is sports heroes and, and inspiration for others, for for existing CrossFitters and new people to say, hey, maybe I should try that. But it all started with a uh, you know, all of our workouts are for time or for weight or for as much work as you can accomplish in a given amount of time. So every day in the gym, when you're working out, you're measuring up and you're competing against, you, you know, you're competing against yourself and your old scores, and you're competing against those in the gym. So it's a natural expression to have a competition when, when data and numbers are such an expression of the sport. And so in 2010, in 2007, uh, Greg Glassman, the founder, and I, we toured my parents' property. I gave him a tour of my parents' property in California, yeah. the ranch. And while we were there, he said, hey, we should have a competition here, a CrossFit competition. And I said, let's do it. And he said, all right, set it up. And that simple conversation was the uh, foundation of, of what this sport became, essentially.
2: And do you think it, it was that the games that have propelled you to 13,000 gyms, especially when you get the recognition on, um, on television and broadcast?
3: No, and that's a great question. And no, the reality is none of this, the games wouldn't be here. The 13,000 plus gyms wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have been around for so long if at the base and at the origin of it all, Greg hadn't created a methodology and a program that really works. And like that, that's the reality for our success and our longevity in the fitness industry at this point. And not, you know, for decades, I've worked across for almost 15 years. And for that all, you know, every year, people are telling me how it's a fad and it's gonna go away. And uh, the reason it's been able to survive is because, not because of the games, but largely because the foundation, the program delivers results and changes people's lives. And, uh, and that's a real reason for success. It's not, it's not a gimmick. It actually does what it's supposed to do.
2: So Jason and I have a mutual friend who owns a, and operates a um, CrossFit gym up in St. Cloud. Um, can you give us a little bit about what is uh, the, the general description of what CrossFit is to our audience, to our listeners?
3: So we like to say in our course, CrossFit is constantly varied functional movements executed at high intensity. And basically what that means is um, we take a variety of full body movements and we combine them into usually random patterns, patterns that are um, thought through prior to them doing. It's not completely made up on the spot. And then you do the, that work, that amount of work or that task in a set, uh, oftentimes as fast as you can or as many rounds as you can in a time. And the reason that uh, you might ask, why would you do it as fast as you can? Or people will ask that. Why, why, why is the time uh, such an important part of it? Because intensity actually leads to results. And so the, two, the, the combination of things here, the movements, the actual full body functional movements, and the fact that you're doing these efforts, um, I don't want to say redlining, but oftentimes going as hard as you can, you're pushing the ceiling of what you're capable of. And if you do that, Often and over time, and with combined with proper nutrition and rest, you, you're going to increase your work capacity, you're going to become a more fit individual. And so, we like to say the magic is in the movement, and it's really that part of it is huge. These functional or these foundational and functional movements, full body movements, we're not doing isolation movements like corals, we're not as much concerned with aesthetics as we are with performance, but chasing performance gets people an amazing aesthetic uh indirectly anyways
1: yeah that's great I'm having tried it i can say it's a it's a great program and there have been some pretty high profile people who have trained crossfit and had success are, are there any athletes that you guys know of who actively train crossfit and then you know it's helped them excel at their you know outside of the crossfit games any professional sports
3: yeah for sure there's a uh, hockey has a handful of uh of athletes who uh, dabble in CrossFit because of the high intensity nature. We've trained uh, a number of boxers. There's also pro football players who, uh, there was one athlete who wasn't drafted and then he started training at a CrossFit gym, wasn't drafted out of the combine, Willie Johnson. And then he um, he then got picked up by the Steelers after doing CrossFit for us, I think it was six months. And he was a devout CrossFitter. Oftentimes with a lot of these pros too, since we're not we're not actively, like some fitness brands actively go out and try to find guys and sign them and get them to promote their business. Our model really doesn't work like that. So it's funny because um, sometimes we're the last to find out, oh, so-and-so is doing CrossFit or this athlete's doing CrossFit. You hear about it after the fact and it's not widely publicized. But yeah, there's a good number of athletes who, um, over the years, who have who have done CrossFit and used CrossFit to prepare for their sports.
2: So, Dave, I would be a newbie to um, CrossFit. I mean, uh, through like Jason said, college wrestling and all the different training methods for for wrestling, um, I, I probably would be considered new to CrossFit. So, how would I get started, and what would I be looking for in in a gym if uh, I did want to try try this um, this fitness program out?
3: What we'd recommend is you uh, find a, an actual CrossFit affiliate, and then uh, find a few in the area. Call the owners, talk to them, get a vibe for what the the gym's like. See because you know a lot of different, a lot of the affiliates have their own vibe and kind of their own focus. And so see one that you think would be that best suits your personality. Even talk to the coaches, see how they, uh, you know, how they handle on ramps, how they onboard people. And then just dive in. And the reality is, so that, that's one path for um, for new people is to, to go to a CrossFit gym, take their on-ramp program, and uh, and then go through that process. The way I found it, and the way a lot of people find it, is actually by just um, going to CrossFit.com, looking at the workouts, and then doing them yourself in your gym. There, That takes a little more. You have to have some knowledge of movement, and, and you have to know what you're doing even if you don't with all the YouTube videos on how to do these movements, you can, you can figure it out, but that takes a a little more self drive and a little more, uh, you have to put work into study what all this stuff means, but doing it um, off, off the website and then in your home gym or at your local gym is another way of pursuing it. And that's actually how I got involved in it. But just so to circle that, that up cross going to a CrossFit gym. They'll get you set up. They accommodate for all levels. It's not just, you know, they're really good at bringing on new people. And the big thing is scaling. And that means they accommodate the weight and the amount of work to your ability. So if you're new, they're not going to have you doing the same stuff that they'd have rich froning or Matt Frazier too. Um, it's very, it's very scalable as we like to say. And it, it, uh, it's built for everyone.
1: Yeah. That that's really smart. I think that to me, what's been impressive is to see how approachable you kind of take away that barrier to somebody starting a program because you can see exactly, you know, there's the workout of the day and then that scalability is just fantastic. You know, we, we, we need to learn something from that for, for shooting definitely and introducing people into shooting resource. Um, and we'll get to that in a yeah, second. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, Just one last question on on CrossFit in general. How I remember seeing some videos that said, you know, if you are in CrossFit, if you don't follow good dietary recommendations, then you're wasting your time. How important is diet to the exercise regimen?
3: Well, so that statement's true and it's not true. And here's what I mean by that. Like diet is absolutely one hundred percent important and and we have a pyramid that of the hierarchy of development, and it's at the base of our pyramid. So diet is Critical to success and to reaching the highest levels of fitness and changing your body composition. Absolutely. Even independent of working out, you can change your diet without ever working out and get a lot of health benefits from that. But, you know, you can also do CrossFit uh, without the best diet in the world, and you'll still see benefits from it. And so um, why I say that is because initially. to to get some people involved, if you try to get someone new and say, hey, we need to change the way you work out and we need to change the way you eat, that's a lot of change. That's a lot of change you're asking for. So get them to work out. And then slowly over time, those people will come to realize, okay, there's this diet component that I really need to take uh, serious and I need to dive into and then they'll go that route and start incorporating some of the diet prescriptions into their lifestyle. And the combination of the two is, is frankly the best. It'll get you the best results.
1: Yeah, it's not quite George Foreman with a plate full of hamburgers, but yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. And you got, you have to take those incremental approaches to fitness and diet. They just, you can't just, you know, smokers can go cold Turkey and, you know, 30 years later, they'll, they'll never had another cigarette in their life, but, I think for most people, it's it's incremental change rather than um, cold turkey. So, but Absolutely. yeah, so Dave, you are a, a burgeoning. Uh, well, you are a, a you know your skill sets in shooting and being a hunter are, are continuing to grow each day. From your view, how do you how do you see the relationship between CrossFit and hunting and shooting?
3: Well, um, I've participated in a lot of different shooting sports, and I have over the last decade. Once I got out of military in 2010. A good friend and coworker, Dave Ray, he was a USPSA open grandmaster, introduced me to USPSA, and I've dabbled in it since then, off and on, inconsistently for uh the last ten years. And then I got involved in the last couple years in long range rifle competitions, which I really enjoy too. Um, and both of those, you know, like it's funny because I go to those competitions and I see people who who spend thousands of dollars on the gear, on guns, the the thousands of dollars on, you know, the latest technology, optics, et cetera, put hours and hours and hours into practice and into ammunition, loading, but they're overweight or they don't do anything for their physical fitness. And it blows me away because in most shooting sports, there is some level of physical fitness that is needed. And frankly, if you improve on it, will improve your shooting game. Be it in speed from box to box, or in movement from from uh, stage to stage, and just carrying your gear around, arriving to a stage not winded or not fatigued because you're fit. All of those things—it it blows my mind how little fitness is a priority to a lot of these, uh, to a lot of the recreational shooter, and frankly, the high-end shooter. I think now, especially in USPSA, you're seeing a lot of the top guys. Uh, a lot do CrossFit or a lot do something like CrossFit or a lot do put a premium on fitness because it's, it's obvious, you know, the the benefits more so in that sport. Um, and so, yeah, I've always, I've always been baffled by how little people, uh, work out for these sports, but I believe it's incredibly valuable. Even if you don't do CrossFit, just, just do something, work out, get your body moving, become a little healthier for the, uh, for this sport. And then obviously that goes to when you talk hunting, where you put a little more demand on your, your body being in shape for hunting. And, and those endeavors is, uh, is extremely critical. And so CrossFit, whenever I've gone to a competition, I've always had, I believe a slight edge in just that area because I have no, no matter what they throw at me in terms of length of stage or physical um challenge in a stage like i'm set and i'm ready i won't be i won't be thwarted by that and that gives me you know i have a physical advantage that naturally lends to a mental advantage because you you feel um you you feel you have that edge there and so all i need to someone who has a good base fitness all i then can really focus on is improving my shooting and the other aspects of it which gives me a, a complete package
2: so if you were just going to say, you just had a, a week of training, right? What amount of time would you devote to CrossFit versus trigger time? Do you have, I mean, because you're, you're in that world right now, would you have a recommendation?
3: That's a great question. And uh, so I'll tell you my, what I do because I have the, I'm very fortunate to have this ability to do this. But I, uh, because it's such a part of my life and will never change, I do work out uh, basically every day. Actually, I work out three days on, one day off. So like, um, doing CrossFit and training is just, it's a part of my life and will always be there. But because I, I have a—I uh, live near my parents' ranch where the CrossFit games are at my own range. I also, in addition to working out every day, I shoot every day and I practice every day. I get trigger time every day. And so, and, you know, and I say I'm fortunate because, you know, I used to live in San Diego and I didn't have that setup. and I know there's thousands of shooters and a lot of people, who aren't as fortunate as I am to have their own private range where they're able to practice every day. And so so my routine daily includes those two things. For sure, I'm working out and unless it's breast day. Eh? And then for sure, I'm getting some trigger time. And depending on what discipline I'm focusing on, hunting, long range, and or USPSA, uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing one of those three. Sometimes I'll combine both and do some of one and then some of the other. And for me, trigger time, I don't have to get two or 300 rounds down range. In USPSA, you know, I can do 50 to 100 and get a good session in. And then on, on long range, you know, 20 to 30 rounds and get a good session in. And in and, and all of this, though, too, none of this for me, I'm not going to the range to plank or I'm not going to the range to clear my mind. I'm going to the range to train. And I'm going to the range with a specific uh, goal in mind or a specific you know, purpose for my training and, um, and so shooting for, and I, it's interesting. I really don't like going to these practice sessions with friends or taking people out to shoot. I just do it as a solo endeavor, get my training in, get what I need to do in, and then I get out.
1: That's great. So you, you had a goal this year of becoming a USPSA grandmaster, you know, which in general means you've shot really well in, in recent classifying events. So what has that journey been like? You know, what's led to your success in USPSA?
3: Well, so over the last from 2010 to about 2007, I shot open pretty uh, consistently inconsistent. I would get really into it and then I'd get out of it. And I was living in uh, San Diego at the time, and um, so I didn't have the range like I do now. And I was able to get high A class. I was on the verge of making master. And I never did. And then, so for about two or three years, I left uh, I left shooting USPSA and open. I um, I moved back up here to Northern California where I did have access to this range. All last year, I devoted my training to long range. Um, I went to a competition with my partner. We had a really bad event. We were disqualified because my partner dropped his pistol at MAMA Sniper Challenge. So I came back kind of disgruntled after that, just kind of down after that in January, and I decided I need to focus. I need to change my focus of training, and I'm going to leave long range for a little bit. And I had a really nice JP PCC gun. I said, shoot, why don't I just take a PCC? And since I have this range, and since I have some support from you know federal and others, why don't I start shooting PCC? And and I set a goal. I'm like, okay, by the end of the year, I'd like I'd like big master. Well, quickly in the process, I, I saw because I was able to train so much that I was I was. that master wouldn't be hard to hit. And within a few months, I was able to hit the uh, master class rating. And then uh, about a month and a half, two months ago, uh, I was able to get GM. And really what it boiled down to is, um, again, this concept of every day I was doing live fire shooting, and then I would go home and every night I would do a lot of dry fire. I was doing 50 reloads and, you know, in PCC, most people aren't practicing reloads because you have to reload so often on classifiers, um, I was practicing reloads. So I was doing 50 reloads every night and 50 presentations with the PCC platform. Now, and, and you could even, like I've talked to this with a few other people, you can even unwind that a little and look back at, I was in the Navy for 12 years and have 12 years of experience running a carbine and running a platform like that. So I had, even from that, I had a decent base of uh, of experience and, and that's another, re- that's another thing that I think helped with my, uh, you know, progression through this, uh, through those ranks. And, and I have, I don't, you know, so the question is, well, why did you set those, even at the range I shoot at, people are like, well, why do you want to, why do you want to class up? You know, why don't you stay lower? So when you go to big matches, you can, you're compared against A-class shooters or, or whatnot. I don't really have any desire to travel for major matches. I really enjoy just shooting locally, especially with all the CrossFit work. I do a lot of travel for that. So I thought, while well, there's the classification system. Why not just try to, as my own goal, um, find that? And that's kind of why. I've I have really enjoyed the process, and I, I'm really enjoying shooting. Uh, I still enjoy shooting
1: PCC now, but
3: since I've made it, I've stopped dry firing as much. I still do. I still do
1: a lot of live fire. Well, it's obvious that you put the same amount of intensity into shooting as you do uh, CrossFit and and your military career. So that that's fantastic, and uh, you know it's fun fun to see. So what what advice and PCC, one of the most fun platforms to shoot. What advice oh, would for you? Sure. Have? Oh, just a blast. Yeah, literally. Uh, it, what advice would you have to a newbie in shooting? You know, thinking of the same prospects, you know, with, with CrossFit, someone who's looking to get into USPSA?
3: One advice I would say is don't get into three gun. And it's interesting because here's why I say that. And it's contrary to what I feel like the industry has been pushing for the last five years. I was baffled by this, but it makes sense. You know, more guns, more gun sales, more ammo sales, more equipment sales. But I felt like in the last four or five years, there was a big push kind of gone away, but there was a big push of getting people into three gun. And I saw it happen to my cousin, my cousin who had no experience in, in any of the action sports, shooting action sports decided to get into three gun. And I said, Hey, I recommend you just start with pistol. Just go to USPSA match. He's like, no, no, I want to try this. And he dove into three gun and uh, you know, it's a steep learning curve. you ended, ended up getting DQ'd multiple times in the beginning. And, and I recommend starting in USPSA with one pistol or if you want to start PCC that's fine learn the ropes graduate you know get some experience there and then if you still want to do three gun later down the road uh pursue three gun and and really in all these sports the the you know big first step is just commitment and and actually going to a match seeing seeing how they are run uh maybe go to some matches prior to even bringing your gun and just watching and and learn the ropes but um, I'm a big fan of not your first step should not be three gun. It should be should be USPSA or even IDPA with uh, with just one platform.
1: Yeah, that that's great advice. And obviously we're biased because uh we our SynTech action pistol product is the official ammo of USPSA, and it's just a really fun activity. So what? Yeah, absolutely. So what's next for you, Dave?
3: Well, so this week actually uh, we have the CrossFit Games here in California, <laughs> and so it's a, it's a big. Big week, a lot going on, a lot of planning, and that's the immediate what's next for me. Um, And then in terms of, so in terms of process get get through this week, and we have a big plan for next year in terms of expanding the sport and growing the sport that I'm really excited about. In terms of shooting, I think next year, I'm going to, or even later this year, I'm going to move my focus back to long range and, and dive into that world a little more there's some uh, long-range competitions I do want to travel for and I do want to do well at. You know, as you can tell from this conversation, all of this stuff, I don't like to go, you know, I don't like to go to these things or be partly in, I'm all in. So if I'm shooting a match or if I'm shooting Mammoth Sniper Challenge or or any of the competition dynamics matches, like I want to be prepared and I want to do as well as I can. And and the partner matches, I want to set my partner up for success so we as a team do as well as they can so um so next year i think i'm gonna focus a little more on the long range game and and in, and even more short term after the games i think i might dive back into a little more hunting too because so the ranch i live on we have a there's a lot of pig population out of out here and a lot of deer and turkey our deer season's actually over and just because of uh preparing for the crossfit games i wasn't able to get as get out as much as i would have liked but uh, yeah our deer season's early and then it ends it ended about 3 weeks ago i think
2: well i, I can see that the product requests will change from pistol loads and Syntec next year to more gold medal um rifle loads and and hunting loads so that's great well um dave last we, uh lastly before we go you've give you've given federal fan, fans some great tips to improve your health and and shooting skills and we have them uh, on our website and they've launched on Instagram. And so there's some really great content and advice from you as a fitness expert, as it relates to not only shooting and hunting, but also, um, to just life, you know, improving your body and improving your, um, your health. So we really appreciate that.
3: Yeah. It's been great working with you guys. Thanks for everything. Thanks for the continued support.
1: Thanks Dave for joining us today. When we return after a short break, we'll shift gears to Tech Talk and bring in Product Director for Handgun and Centerfire Rifle Ammunition, Mike Holm, to talk about the importance of shot placement and a steady rest. Meet the industry's widest variety
4: of game-changing ammunition. However you shoot, and whatever you hunt, fortune favors the prepared, and nothing prepares you better than federal Premium. It's a gold standard advantage delivered directly from the experts in premium ammunition. Find your
0: federal premium advantage today. Welcome back to It's Federal Season and our technology segment, Tech Talk.
1: Welcome back to the It's Federal Season podcast and our Tech Talk segment. I'm Jason Nash, along with Brian Kelvington, and we're happy to have Mike Holm join us for some tips and tactics on making the perfect shot. In previous podcasts, we've talked about bullet construction and performance and what attributes of a particular bullet align with the game you're pursuing. Before we discuss shot placement and a good rest, let's just talk about bullets for one minute. Mike, Federal Launch Terminal Ascent with the patented Slipstream Tip. What are the benefits of a tipped bullet versus a bullet like the... Sierra Game King?
5: Well, Jason, the, uh, a tipped bullet really gives you a more aerodynamic bullet. Um, that cuts through the air um, better. What that really helps you out with is ma- basically in your longer range shots, right? You get a high, higher ballistic coefficient. Um, you'll get less wind drift. It'll maintain its energy longer down range. Um, so a tipped bullet really helps you with those things. But what's interesting about the slipstream tip, which is part of the terminal ascent line, is it's a unique tip design in itself. And where the the channel there's a there's a hollow channel throughout the tip. And what that's designed to do is at longer ranges, as the bullet starts to slow down, right? That tip will break off when it hits the target, exposing a hollow point. And that hollow point. Uh, we'll fill with fluid material and expand. So we get long-range terminal performance with the slipstream tip where you wouldn't get it with any of your standard tip materials um, without the, the slipstream tip or a standard soft point more for um, shorter-range targets and things like that. And,
2: that. and that bowl has gotten so many accolades this year, Mike. And What do you attribute that to?
5: Well, it's it's really the single best hunting bullet on the market. Um, if you think about what it has, it, it takes the best of, of your competition target bullets with high ballistic coefficients, um, just supreme accuracy, and melds that together with the robustness of a bonded bullet. I mean, at Federal, we make some of the toughest um, bonded, most robust bullets there are, so when you talk about bone-crushing performance and up-close shots and things like that where you need weight retention to get that penetration to get into the vital organs, um, it really, the terminal ascent meshes those two things perfectly and um, really, really is the ultimate hunting bullet. So, then let's, let's, even, let's
2: kind of put that all together with shot placement and how important it is to know the anatomy of your animal that you're uh, pursuing
5: yeah it is i mean that's that's one of the first things you really need to be looking at is what what game am I shooting and um you know there's all sorts of resources out there to get a visual of what the anatomy looks like, where are the vital organs you know where are the critical things that you need to uh, consider when you're when you're taking a shot um, you know so I mean and look at it from all angles because you don't really know if you're going to get you know maybe the perfect shot is isn't there, uh, perfect broadside, maybe it's a little different and something for you to consider if you're, if you're skilled enough and comfortable enough to, to take a shot where you can still reach the, the vital organs. But really understand what it is that, um, the, you know, how the animal is constructed. If you, you know, if you go to Africa, for instance, the, the vital organs tend to be farther forward than what we have here in North America. So just knowing the differences in that and, and where you want to put your shot um, make a huge difference. Mike when you're teaching a, a new shooter where to hold relative to the vital
1: zone are there any tips tricks that you to give them maybe a little more forgiveness in, in their shot placement?
5: Yeah you know as you're as you're looking at your your shot placement you know there's the the hardened lung area that is is one of the um, places that you you can focus on um, and typically that is if you look at right, just right behind the shoulder blade there, there's a spot where, you know, you've got hardened lungs. Um, lungs tend to be a little bit larger, give you a little bit more leeway when, when it comes to, to making the shot. Um, you know, a hardened lung shot's also going to be kind of your best bet as far as saving of meat, right? If you want to retain as much meat as possible. One thing to consider though is even the perfect shot on a hardened lungs you're most likely going to have an animal that runs off, right, and you're going to have to track the blood trail, um, which should be substantial, and it should not be too difficult um, when you make that shot. But it is something to consider, right? Um, another shot that, um, you know, if you go with professional hunters and things like that, they'll, they'll recommend is the uh, double shoulder shot, right? Um, and that's taking it uh, kind of a little bit on the high part of the shoulder and what you really want to do there is is you're, you're hitting both shoulders and the animal will hunch up a little bit and actually get some spine damage and, and it'll tend to drop right there. Uh, the difference there is you are, you know, into the shoulders. You've got some um, meat destruction that you'll have. Um, so it's kind of the, there's a, a bit of a trade-off and a little bit of a balance there that you want to think through um, how you want to... Um, you know look at placing your shot but those are kind of the uh, two of the the most popular spots where uh, hunters will go and and uh, place their shots.
2: And you know um, for hunters too there's a lot of different positions that they could be in uh, when making a shot whether you're in a tree stand or you're still hunting there are positions that you need to practice Can you kind of run through a few of those that and your recommendations.
5: Yeah, and this is a big piece where where a lot of hunters kind of maybe, um, you know, fall down a little bit on this, is just understand what it is, kind of conditions you're going to be in. Like you say, am I in a stand? Am I going to be doing spot and stalk? Are we going to be driving and posting? You know, what is is our situation going to look like? And then kind of imagine and anticipate some of these shots that you could potentially um, encounter. And then, you know, make sure that you're practicing those. Um, all too often we go to the range, we get on a bench, we maybe have a rest or we got bags and we're comfortable and we're just kind of, you know, leveled in there and we're shooting tight groups and everything feels great. But um, in a lot of cases, most cases when you're out hunting, you don't have that um, exact luxury, you know. So you want to make sure you're you're thinking about, you know, the positions that I'm going to be in and and practicing those and getting very proficient at those and and the different kinds of ones, because what you expect to happen, a lot of times doesn't happen, right? Um, even if you're in a blind where you're sitting down and you're thinking you're, you know, I've got my spot out the window, you know, and I can rest right there. Um, you're going to want to be able to also be able to move within there because you might think it's coming out one direction. It always comes out the other direction, right? And you need to be able to make those movements and you want to practice that, um, and, and be ready for it. Um, you know, it's great to go and shoot tight groups at the range and everybody loves to do that. But, you know, if you're shooting off of sticks, for example, if you're doing a spot in stock, I've had some experiences where, um, you know, I've went to, uh, on hunts where uh, I was with a a guide, professional hunter had fantastic sticks. Right. Um, and you know, I put, you know, first animal comes up, we put the gun on there he's holding my elbow. I'm just like a rock on, on a, a shooting bench. Right. Well, the next time I go out, I think that same kind of thing is going to happen because you know these guides and professional hunters—they must all be the same, right? Well, the next guy comes up and he's got a couple of sticks that are bolted together with electrical tape around them. Has no idea, um, you know, any of the techniques that I'd been uh, used to in the in the previous one. So, um, you know, it's 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 kind of like you know practice up and kind of understand what works for you, especially when you're, you know, doing things like, uh, sticks and, and off of backpacks and prone position and all of that sort of thing. Can you over practice Mike? Is that possible? You know, I I will say this, you know, I don't, I don't think you can over practice as a, as a total, right? I mean, you can, I, I think it's, it's good to get out know your rifle, know how it shoots, know the different conditions, how it reacts within that. I do think there is a a point where you can practice too much at any one given time, right? And so you can experience shooter fatigue, um, you can start to develop some bad habits and things like that. So kind of go out to the range, have kind of an idea of what kind of practice routine you want to have, and then, you know, it's not always going to go perfect, right? And so sometimes the best thing to do is just pack up and go home and come back another day and come at it, and things are totally different, right? Um, I've been in, in situations where I've tried to shoot my way through it, right, and it so, tends to just add to frustration. Um, again, sometimes you can develop some bad habits and things that you need to to sort out later on. So, you know, practicing is is super important. It's something that, that a lot of times when we go on these hunts, um, you know, we go and, and sight in, you know, uh, a week before or something like that, or, you know, even, even when you have some of these bigger hunts, sometimes it sneaks up on you, but to have kind of a, a practice routine and a schedule and go and, um, make sure you're ready and prepared. It'll make you a lot more confident when you're making that shot. Thanks, Mike. That's great
1: advice. And, you know, for new shooters and people who are just, you know, honing their skills. So, um, really appreciate you joining us today and sharing your skills and knowledge and we'll talk to you next time.
2: Up next, our news and notes section of the It's Federal Season podcast. We'll share what's making headlines at Federal Ammunition, including hot promotions on Federal gear and product. There's a time and a place
4: for every season. This is that time, and these are those special places. When preparation Gives way to anticipation, rituals, and traditions. (laughs) Friends, family, forever. This is what you live for. It's time to celebrate the annual tradition like no other.
0: It's federal season. Welcome back to It's Federal Season. And the News and Notes segment.
2: Welcome back to It's Federal Season and the News and Notes segment. I'm Brian Kelvington. Let's talk about some promotions going on with hunting seasons in full force across the United States and two great promotions from Federal. First, it's Federal's tag savings. Buy at least two boxes of Federal Power Shock or non-typical centerfire rifle or handgun ammunition to get a rebate of $5 per box. Minimum purchase is two boxes, and the maximum rebate is $10 per person or household. Product must be purchased between 8-1, which is already underway, and it concludes on the 31st of December. The next promotion is Federal Stay Sharp promotion. Buy at least two boxes of qualifying Federal Premium Big Game Centerfire Rifle or Handgun Hunting Ammunition to get a free exclusive Federal-branded Havalon Paranta Original Knife. Retail value of $59.99. Minimum purchase is two boxes, and the maximum rebate is two knives per person or household. Product must be purchased between 8-1, which is ongoing right now, and that promotion runs through December 31st, 2020. Go to federalpremium.com/promotions for full details and rules on both of these promotions. Our next podcast is set for release on November 19th. We will have Bob St. Pierre from Pheasants Forever on to talk about the organization, its mission, pheasant hunting, and probably a little talk about our four-legged friends. Thanks for joining us on this episode of
0: It's Federal Season. If you like the It's Federal Season podcast, be sure to let us know by filling out a rating and review on iTunes. And remember, for us, it's always in season. It's federal season.